And so we're going to look at the Lord's teaching on prayer. And uh, this is in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And this is the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to know what it is to be in relationship with you, to speak to you. And uh, for most of us here, prayer is such a challenge. Would you teach us from your word um, to, uh, and lead us into the freedom that prayer is, the joy that prayer is, that it is not a burden, that your burden is light, your, your yoke is easy, your commandments are not burdensome to us. Lord, teach us to pray now through your word. Send your spirit to be our teacher now as we commit our hearts to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we've been looking for the last uh, couple months or so at Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, as I've said before, kind of the main topic of the sermon is that there's basically these two kinds of religious life that you can live. You can have kind of a religious life that is... It's a life of basically showing off, uh, self-righteousness, where you put on a show of, um, I know God, I love God, I live a very devout life, and you get a lot of approval from a people, and people pat you on the back, and, you, and it just puffs up your pride. And then Jesus says there's this other kind of religious life that is, uh, it's a life of humility, of gentleness, of brokenness before God, and yet uh, it's a life of honesty, of transparency, and it's really the life that Jesus is leading in, into, and it's true righteousness. It's truly beautiful. And so he's trying to contrast for us the difference between this external righteousness and this internal transformation. And uh, now, uh, as the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' most famous sermon, we're probably in Jesus' most famous part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is the Lord's Prayer. And uh, actually, the Lord's Prayer shows up pretty much exactly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. There's, I think, 116 lines, Greek lines, before the Sermon on the Mount, and 114 lines after. So it is dead center at the heart of Jesus' teaching is his teaching on prayer, of this is how you pray. Um, that, which is to say that essentially prayer 
is, is the powerhouse. It is uh, the, um, where this true kind of righteousness emerges and happens, where we experience that grace, is in the context of prayer. Um, but of course, as a challenge for us, if, okay, um, the thing that we need most in order to live this, be a true disciple of Jesus, this true righteousness is prayer. That's challenging for most of us because prayer is also probably um, the hardest part of the Christian life, the most unnatural part of the Christian life. I, I know even for me, I, you know, prayer is, is, is a part of my job. And uh, even if I'm, you know, in my office and I'm praying for people in our church, I'm praying for some of you and something comes to my mind of, oh, man, that person's got this thing going on and that's, they're really struggling with this. I immediately, my first response is, a, where's my phone? I got to call them. I got to call them. I got to see if they're okay. I got I to gotta check in with them. I got to uh, talk to them. Is there a need? Is there something I care for? Even while I'm in prayer, <laughs> that's my first reaction. Is not, I have God's ear. I think that I have more to give them than God himself has to give them. And, uh, of course, that's uh, not just the antithesis, you know, antithetical to prayer itself, but it's antithetical to the whole Christian life. Because the whole of the Christian life is that I can't even save myself, let alone someone else. I can't rescue someone else. I can't rescue myself. Only God can. And yet as our pattern, it's our nature to want to take control of our life, to be independent, self-reliant. And that's just what comes out of us. So the most unnatural thing for us to do is to go to God and to ask him in prayer to help us and to work supernaturally things that we uh, cannot do ourselves. And so uh, this morning we're going to look uh, carefully at uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer. Uh, I, I really... Every line of this is so loaded. Um, I, I, it's, I, I, do, I think my second point has five or six sub-points in it because there's so much, so much to say here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to keep it moving along. But in particular, I want to say two uh, important things about prayer. Um, the first is that uh, something about false prayer. We're going to talk a little bit about false prayer because he, he challenges the kind of cultural norm of prayer in the church in his day. Um, and first, that false prayer is about control, so which is kind of odd. Uh, you would think that the point of prayer is actually giving up control to God, but actually there's a way to pray that is an attempt to remain in control. So first, false prayer is about trying to get control. But second, true prayer is about relationship. True prayer is about relationship. And so we're going to look at these two things together. And so the first is this, that false prayer is about control. And I think for most people who've wrestled with the question of prayer, um, one of the most common things to say is that, you know, I, I've tried prayer. I've tried it out. I, I actually, I came to a um, crossroads in my life. I came to a very defining moment in my life. And I said, all right, if there's a time where I need God to show up and to do something, this was it. And so I prayed. And nothing happened. And so I'm, prayer doesn't work. I tried it. I, 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 this is the thing that I really needed God to do, and he didn't do it, and so prayer didn't work. Now, um, you know, I think that makes sense. I mean, that, you'll see within yourself, I think anyone, whether a Christian or not, we can see that we're religious people. 
uh, where it's in our nature to be religious because whenever we come into trials, that's one of our first reactions. I remember before I'd ever gone to church, knew anything about the Bible or anything, even as a kid, I kept trying out prayer and trying out those kinds of prayers. But the heart of that kind of prayer is when I come to God and say, okay, I need this thing to be done. I have a plan for how my life should go, and I really need you to do it right now. What are we essentially doing? We're saying, I want, I want to be in control. And maybe prayer is a way for me to control my life. And um, now I'm going to come back to that and talk more about that. But I think that Jesus says that, um, uh, that there are a couple ways that in the chaos of our life, we kind of use prayer to try to get control of it, to, to rein in the chaos. And um, there are two, the two ways that he says we try to get control is that we pray to get status and we pray to get success. These are two things that we try to pray for. The first is we try to pray, uh, pray to get status. And I, I think the reason I say that is one of the things that we feel out of control with about our life is often how other people view us. You know, we want to have a reputation. We want people to view us well. And we can't control how they think of us. And so, um, you know, prayer, worship, a kind of religious piety, um, we often see as kind of this respectable thing, you know, and... Uh, People religious are good people. They, they care about, um, they have high morals and things like that. And if I can kind of put out this persona of someone who prays and has a religious life, then people are going to respect me and they're going to care for me. And, that's what, that's, uh, and they're going to think I'm a good person. This is what Jesus is getting at in verse 5 when he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they, uh, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others that they may be seen. We care deeply about the eyes of other people. We want their eyes to look on us and to look on us approvingly. And um, shame and pride are both experiences of the eyes of other people. Shame is when people look at us a certain way, right? You know, that, that's why we're so offended. Was, why did she look at me like that? That's... Uh, you know, that's so troubling to us. What are they doing with their eyes? And we care, um, and, and so one of the things that we do to avoid the looks of contempt is we can put on a show of a religious life. And prayer is one of the things that we can do that. It's a very verbal thing. It's a kind of a time that we can show off. And that's kind of what he's getting at is this religious life that shows off. And, um, you know, I, I think there's an element when you first become a Christian, there's some of this that's going to happen naturally. I mean, you know, I... I know when I became a Christian, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know how you prayed. And I was with, you know, you get in the circle and everyone's holding hands and it's going around and you're waiting for it to come to you. And you're like, okay, I plan it all out, what I'm going to say. And how, how do they say that? And you're trying, and you see, gosh, everyone's got this master down. They have this eloquence and all these words and how do I do that? So I, I think that that's kind of endearing to Jesus. When you're a new Christian, you say, okay, I'm going to try to put together something that sounds vaguely like what they're all doing. And, uh, you know, I think that's endearing. But if we hold on to that kind of attitude, because what, you know, what can kind of happen, I, I remember this, I, you say a good prayer, and everyone's like, wow, that was powerful. And you, and, and you can grab on to the little pleasure of that. It was like, oh, you thought that was good, huh? 
And instead of growing out of the, uh, you know, I'm a new Christian and I don't know how to do this and I'm trying to copy, you know, I'm thinking about my words a lot. And you don't grow out of that. Instead, you grow into that little pleasure of I like the, the respect that I got from that. People like the theology and the, and the oh, wow. And everyone's like, mm, 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 when you were, uh, when I was praying and I was lots of noise going on. That was good. And we could feed on that. And it kind of feeds our pride. And so we gain this sense of status and, um, and so we can use prayer as, 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 as a way of gaining my reputation. So it's a desire for control. But the second thing, which I think is, is probably uh, uh, more significant, a bigger issue in our culture, is that we can also pray to get success. And actually, uh, this is an issue that um, is something that in our contemporary spiritual climate is just uh, everywhere. Um, that the idea that there are certain kinds of prayer techniques... That if you learn certain kinds of techniques about praying, you can kind of tap into a power. There's a power. It's either in the universe, it's in God, it's in your own soul. And if you learn these techniques, you can tap into that power and you can just experience abundance in your life. You can experience riches and blessings and whatever you want. If you, can, if you just learn these techniques, and this of course happens in the church, you know, uh, the, you know pastors will say, God has you know, riches and blessing for you if you just tap into them and if you can just muster up enough to believe in the promises and claim them, God is just going to pour out riches and blessing upon you. And so we begin to talk and to talk and, and to stir up our emotions to really believe that God's going to give me some blessing that, that he's promised to me. It's functionally, you know, that happens in the church, kind of this health and wealth gospel promises of God. It's actually functionally not that different than, you know, something you might see on Oprah or something like that. Um, and, and this is, uh, um, you know, one example of this, of something that's kind of like the prayer that we use to try to get success. Um, there's, some of you may have heard of this. Maybe you have one of these. It's something called a vision board where, uh, you know, it's a board. You, put, you, you think of the kind of life that you want to have and you put pictures on the board little sayings or verses that kind of describe what your life is going to be. And um, the idea is that, uh, that this is a technique for me to envision my kingdom, my kingdom and my will for my life, the world that I want to make. And if I use this technique, I can actually create this world that I want, uh, that I want to have. And, um, and uh, if you believe it enough and you use these techniques right... You can actually have whatever you want. You can have whatever you want in the world. That's very appealing. And actually, that's very similar to what Jesus is talking about, actually, in verse 7, when Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And what he's talking about in, in pagan uh, religion and culture, pagan religion is all about an arrangement with the gods where I say certain things, do certain things, sacrifice certain things so that you'll give me a blessed life. And if I do everything right and I appease you and, um, and I'm sincere enough, then maybe I can get you to bless me. And so they heap up all these praises and these, and these go through all these techniques and saying things right. And Jesus says, don't do these kinds of prayers that if you do these techniques right, then the gods are going to bless you. And actually, Jesus, in that little verse, he's speaking against what actually most of the prayer of the religions of the world are really exactly what he's speaking against. You know, uh, um, you know, not to be disrespectful, but, uh, but you know, in Islam, when you have five uh, praying uh, five times a day, 
these prayers. You're reciting them. I'm going through a, a recitation. Um, uh, Buddhism and Hinduism have the same thing. They're, they're dependent highly on repetition, saying the right kinds of words, the right kinds of way, so that you can align yourself with the deity, the deity in the universe or the deity within yourself. And if you can practice these techniques, you will um, win the God's favor and you will get whatever you want. And so prayer is a technique for gaining control of the world, to make the world do what I want it to. Now, I'll tell you why this pattern of prayer is, actually, is very enticing, and maybe you can tell why it's enticing. But one thing that makes it especially enticing is that it works. Sometimes, for some people, it does work. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, because when Oprah says you can create your own reality, you can create your own world. She's partly right. Because each of us have been made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God, and God created a world, and he said that we are to have dominion over the world. And so we're supposed to take his world and not just leave it how it is, but we dig up the ground, take you know, ore and make metals and make build buildings, and we build houses and we build civilizations. And we do, we're sub-creators with God. So we actually do make something of the world. And so we are supposed to have visions of what we're making the world into as we're, we're um, coming alongside God and being a part of what he's doing. And so um, what that means is God's made us that way. If we have a vision for what our life is going, that can often happen, especially if you're kind of a goal-oriented kind of person, and you say, you know, these are the things I want to accomplish. Uh, oftentimes, you know, many people, when they make a vision board and they put their pictures on the vision board of what they want their life to be, oftentimes that's what happens to their life because you're made in the image of God. And, you know, I'll tell you, honestly, I, that's what I do at the beginning of the year. I write out goals for my year, things that I want to accomplish in my life, where I want my life to be at the end of the year. And that's helpful. And I, I revisit it. But the question is, when we tap into that kind of power, that can become the ultimate purpose of our life, and ultimately that I am my own God. I am building my own kingdom. And we're taking it a good thing and making it into an ultimate thing. And the illusion is that I can have power and control over the world, which I can't. This is God's world, and I live under his kingship, and I live under his sovereignty and his lordship. And so um, what Jesus says, the pagans, the pagans were trying to make this desire uh, for success the center of their prayer life. My prayer life is about gaining control of the world. And ultimately what that means is what it says to God when we pray that way is that I want blessings, I want good things, I can use you to get rich. Is I'm saying to God, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. If you were here last week, uh, Daniel was talking about uh, Jesus', uh, Jesus emphasis on the great reward that we get from him is what? Is that we get to be with him. And so that's the second thing that we're going to look at. First is that false prayer is about trying to gain control of the world. And Jesus rejects that and he says that true prayer is about relationship. True prayer is about relationship. And uh, probably uh, the most significant detail in this whole passage um, that communicates the kind of personal, relational quality of true prayer is this title, Father. Five times Jesus uses the word Father in that passage I just read to you. And, um, of course, that title, Father, that God is a Father to us, is going to have uh, different meanings to many of you, uh, depending on what kind of father you had uh, growing up. And uh, th that may evoke warm feelings or bad feelings that God is a, is a Father. But one of the things to know that even if you had a bad father growing up, 
a father who didn't care for you, a father who didn't listen to you, a father who didn't want to spend time with you. You knew that that's not what a father should be like. Otherwise, why would you be complaining <laughs> about him? You know that there's something out there of, of a standard of what a true father really should be. And what Jesus is saying is that standard that you know somewhere back in your subconscious, deep down in your soul, that's really what God is. That's really who God is. And uh, in prayer, um, you are coming to know that, that true father. And Jesus says that God is a true father um, that we have always longed for, the strong, the present, the kind, the gentle, the wise father. That's what our father in heaven is. And, um, and so what I want to do is just as we look at, at this teaching and the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to try to knock through these five principles about true prayer being about relationship. And the first thing is this. Prayer, true prayer, is spending time with your Father. That is what prayer is. If you struggle with prayer, if prayer seems like a burden, if you tell yourself all the time, gosh, I know I should be praying more. I know, it's, I know the pastor says I should pray more. I know the Bible says I should pray more. Understand that all prayer is, prayer is spending time with your Father. And I, you see this here in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, uh, you know, one of the most common things that people say about prayer, which I, I'm sure I've said this is true, is that all of life is prayer. You know, the main thing, that, you know, prayer isn't just something that happens in church or happens when you're having a quiet time. You know, your whole life should be prayer. When you're going through your day, you have problems, you see someone, you pray for them, you, you're, you're at work and you need some help with something, pray to God, you're with your family, pray. It should be just this regular conversation that we're having with God. We're kind of walking in with him throughout the day. But throughout history, Christians have always seen this little saying of Jesus where he says, when you pray, go into, the, into this secret room, into this closet and shut the door. Christian said, okay, that's true, all of life is prayer, but actually there should be a time where you do get away, get away from the distractions of the world, and actually spend time with your father. You should be alone with him, away from the distractions. And, um, and what Jesus is talking about here is, you know, go into your room, it's probably, it's what he's, the word there is the storage closet. It's probably the only place in an ancient home that had a lock on it. And he says, go into a place where you can lock the door. You know, when you have something really important in your life that you need to attend to, and you say, listen, I got I to gotta get this work done. I need no distraction. I'm going to go in my office. No one can come in there. He's saying, do that. Find a place where you can do that and say that spending time with my Father in heaven is essential to my life as a disciple of Jesus. And, of course, that's true in any relationship. Right. Um, you know, many people say that, you know, married couples need to have some kind of date night where they get away from, uh, you know, the children, get away from, you know, the, the, just the busyness of home life and keeping the home going. You have to have a time where you're sitting there you're eating food and you're looking at each other and you're talking and connecting with each other. And if you don't do that, what's going to happen is what's your kids are going to grow up. You know, you're going to get so busy, you're going to be trying to get your career going, you're getting your kids raised, and you're running around to sports events, and all of a sudden the kids grow up, and they're out of the house, and the house is empty, and then you look at each other and you say, who are you? Wow, wow, I knew you a while ago, but who are you? We haven't even talked to each other for 20 years. And the same thing, that same thing can happen with your relationship with God. You know, I'm praying to him all over the place. I'm, doing, I'm going to home group. I'm, I'm uh, going to church. I'm 
doing the Bible, but do you have time where you stop and you look at him and you spend time with your father? And uh, Paul Miller has written a really helpful book on prayer called A Praying Life. It's one of the, been a really life-changing book for me in, in my life of prayer. He says this, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. Intimacy with God, feeling close to God, is not something that you can just uh, say, I'm going to have intimacy with God, but you can make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, your friend, or God. You need space to be together. Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness all kill intimacy. Let me say that again. Efficiency, multitasking, and busyness all kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. And so what he says uh, is this is not a burdensome duty. You just need to take time to go away and to be with your father who loves you. He's wise. He's strong. He wants to spend time with you. And, um, and I love how Jesus describes it here. You see what he says? And your father who sees you. Your father sees you. When you go into that room, your father's looking at you. He's watching you again, the eyes. Your father's watching you. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I shared with you when I was a teenager, I got uh, sent away to this school. I was away from my parents for a year and a half. I was in a lot of trouble. And I got sent away to a, to a school um, in another country. And um, I, while I was in this school, you know, I didn't have a lot of possessions. I had, but I had two most treasured possessions. Um, you know, among my clothes, I had some clothes, I had some sandals, but my two most treasured possessions, I had a Bible, I'd become a Christian, and, you know, a lot of the, the Samoans and staff that worked there would always steal stuff, so I kept my Bible with me everywhere I went. I didn't want anyone to grab my, my Bible that someone had given me. It was a study Bible, and I marked in it and everything. My treasure possession. My other treasure possession was this little picture that I had of, it was me with my parents from when I was about 10. It was kind of this faded picture. It was in a frame. And uh, I was, you know, my mom had her arms kind of around, around me like this, and I had my red hair was all kind of disheveled, and my teeth were all, and I was smiling, and my mom's smiling. And my dad's, my dad's here, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's standing right next to me, and he's not looking at the camera. And he's looking down at me. And that, that always moved me. He wasn't paying attention to the camera. Hey, there's a picture going on. Are you watching? Like, smile, say cheese. No. He was looking. His eyes were down on me in this sense of delight. And what you have when you take time and you spend time with your father, you have a father who the rest of the world, it's, 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 it's as if he's shutting out the rest of the world. When you shut out the rest of the world, the, the, your father is going to shut out the rest of the world and set his eyes on you and he'll watch you. And he'll set his delight on you and enjoy you as well. And so um, essential, when we go to the secret place with God, his eyes are set upon us. Um, prayer is spending time with God. Now, by the way, when you go, into the, you go into that room, you go into that secret place with God and spend time, what do you do in there? You know, okay, how am I going to, what are we doing together? And uh, this was actually a question I was asking this week. Uh, Chris Van Hoffergen, he's one of the elders here. I was talking to him. I, I was telling him, you know, I don't think I know how to pray. I'm giving a sermon on prayer on Sunday. Uh, what can you tell me? Uh, and um, so he was saying, well, what's the problem? I say, well, I pray, and, my, you know, I'm all over the place, and I just feel like it's so vague, and I'm never getting anything done. I'm not talking about things. We're not going anywhere. And he says, well, you, do you talk out loud? 
And of course, I've been told that before, but it was a good reminder to me that it was helpful. You know, you don't have to talk out loud. People have different ways that they pray. But that was a helpful thing, that one of the things that we're doing in prayer when we're being intimate with God, we're coming into his presence, is to speak to him. And one, one commentator said this about Jesus' teaching. Prayer for Jesus is not only living with a sense of God. It's not just having some vague sense that God is there. It is the attempt to say words to God in a private conversation. And just like in a marriage, in a relationship, there's an effort to take your feelings and what you're thinking and to actually vocalize them is a big challenge. And God wants us to attempt that. And so that leads to the second, uh, the second uh, uh, principle that we see in here. Not just that true prayer is about spending time with your father. But second, true prayer is simple, but it's heartfelt. And, uh, you know, the, the pagan idea of prayer was basically that the gods were really demanding and they wanted you to prove yourself to them and they wanted you to bring more and more sacrifices. They're always demanding more and more of you and they won't listen to you until you meet their standards. But here Jesus says in verse 7, When you pray, do not heat up, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is an amazing vision of God is that we go to him in prayer. He already knows everything. And that, that gives us simplicity to the things that we need to say to him. And um, uh, that we don't need, to, God doesn't need information. He wants us. And I, I put in your bulletin, on page three of your bulletin, I put a little um, quote from J.C. Ryle. He was a, an Anglican minister in the, in the 19th century in England. Uh, this is what he says, fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble, and your language poor. Jesus can understand you. Just as a mother understands the first lispings of her infant, so does the blessed Savior understand sinners. He can read a sigh and see a meaning in a groan. And so what that means is we don't have to, when we come to God, we don't have to have this religious language, this formality. We don't have to say everything right. He says, come and speak simply to me and just articulate what you can, what's in your heart and what your anxiety is. And um, God already knows what we need. Um, and you might ask the question, you know, well, why then do we need to tell him? If he already knows what we need, why do we need to tell him? And because the purpose of, relation, the purpose of prayer is not to get things. The purpose of, relation, of prayer is relationship, and that's what God wants with us. So second, true prayer is simple but heartfelt, just giving our, heart, our hearts to God. Third, true prayer is an act of surrender to God. And um, as you look at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer... Um, we're just going to uh, look at this in, in these last few pages here. Sorry, i got a lot to say. Here, let me see where I am here. Um, in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is broken up basically into two parts. And um, if you look at the first three parts where it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the pronouns are your, your, your. The, the, the prayer begins talking about God. The second half, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts um, as we have forgiven others our debts and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil is about us. So the first part of the prayer is about God. The second part of the prayer is, is about us. In the beginning of the prayer, God, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, uh, here, this is how, you know, 
Christian prayer is contrasted from the pagan prayers. We're not saying to God, my kingdom come, my will be done, but your kingdom come, your will be done. It is an act of surrender to God, to the one true God. And as we come back to that question, you know, know, I tried prayer and it didn't work. There are certain things that I asked of God and he didn't answer me. Where was he? He didn't show up. And one of the things that you see Jesus doing here as he teaches us on prayer is before we get to the prayer about um, give us this day our daily bread, provide for my needs. Before that, he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That um, whatever happens, this, you are the sovereign one. Ultimately, Father, I know that you know what's best for my life. So I'm going to submit myself to your sovereign will, and I'm ready for whatever you bring. I'm going to make my request to you, but first let me, let me lay this out, that I understand that you may say no to me. And that ultimately, your will is better than my will, and I want your will done. And of course, this is, uh, these words show up later in the, the, most, the greatest non-answer to a prayer that God ever gave was in Matthew 26 when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's about to go to the cross and he says my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will and then he prays again and he says exactly these words my father if this cannot pass until I drink it your will be done God is putting um, some of you through very difficult trials right now that you are trying to pray pray through. Let me just say that he wants you to speak about those burdens, those anxieties that are in your heart. He wants to hear you articulate them to him. He wants to hear them from your voice. But as we go into this uh, struggles, God wants us to also say to him, your will be done. I trust you. You are a good father. You are a good God. And this act of submission is essential to our spiritual lives. But the act of surrender to God's sovereign will is not where we stop. The next thing is that true prayer is not just simply about uh, surrendering, an act of surrendering, but true prayer is also simply about asking. And uh, you see this here in verse 11. uh, Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, here um, we have Jesus uh, telling us um, to pray for our physical needs, pray for physical blessings. Now, you might ask, how is this different than what I was talking about earlier of us, you know, God wants to bless you, God wants to make you rich, he wants to give you abundance. How is, this, how is what Jesus is asking for different than us trying to get control of our lives and say, God, I need this and I need this and I need that and I want my life to be like that. How are these two things different? Well, a couple things. First of all, we see um, this, uh, this phrase, um, give us this day our daily bread, comes from the, the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament. If you know that story, uh, Israel came out of, uh, out of Egypt, and they came into the wilderness, and they're living in the wilderness, and they're crying out to God, and they need food, and God would give them daily this manna from heaven, and he would say, okay, I'm just going to give you enough bread for one day. And you collect enough bread for one day, and you eat it, and then you trust me that the next day I'm going to give you the bread the next day. And what he's saying is this is not a a desire for control or for more more possessions. This is actually a prayer of dependence of saying, God, give me this day my daily bread and I'm going to trust you for tomorrow. I just need today. In fact, I'm going to be generous with my possessions. I'm going to be generous with what I have and I'm going to trust you for what you're going to give me tomorrow. So in order to be your disciple, I need to trust in you. But secondly, this is not a technique. This is simply a request. Jesus is telling us to just make our requests known to our Father. Just ask him. Ask him for the things that you need. And um, 
uh, let's, uh, Paul Miller, let me just uh, quote him one more time. All of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized with one word, ask. His greatest concern is that our failure or reluctance to ask keeps us distant from God. But that is not the only reason he tells us to ask. God wants us to give us good gifts. He loves us. And one of the things that this tells us is that God wants us to ask him for physical things. And the reason, you know, if God already knows what we need, why does he have us ask us? Is because that's the means that he wants to bless us is through us asking. It's a relationship. And he's a good father and he cares about physical things. He's a creator. He made the physical world and he made pleasures and he made, makes good things. And so, you know, you have this question. Paul Miller gives the example of, let's say you want to, um, I want a uh, promotion in my job. Is that something I should ask God for or I should not ask God for? If I ask him for it, is that being selfish? That, um, well, if I don't ask him for it, what's the other option? I'm going to work for it. And then when I get it, what am I going to do? I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, well, aren't I a great guy that, um, that I beat out all these other people? But if I ask God for the promotion and I get it, then what am I going to do? I'm going to be humbled. And I'm going to thank God and say, this is a gift from God. And so everything in our life, God wants us to bring our request to him, not as a desire to be in control, but as a desire that all of our life would be in dependence upon him and walking with him, okay? So lastly, so we have uh, true prayer is about spending time with your father. True prayer is simple but heartfelt. True prayer is an act of surrender saying your will be done, not my will, but also uh, prayer is simply about asking God for our needs, making our needs known to him. But lastly, true prayer is how we experience grace. How does grace come into our hearts and really transform us? And look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, here we are at the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is this challenging sermon about God's demands for us as his disciples of how we should live. And at the center of the Sermon on the Mount is a prayer. And at the center of that prayer is what? Jesus is telling us to tell God that we failed the Sermon on the Mount. Forgive us our debts. We haven't lived up to the vision that you have for our life. And it's amazing that he uses the language of debts, that our sins are a debt. You know, that we owe God something. And what that's to say is that, that our sins just can't be looked over. The debt has to be paid. Someone has to incur the cost. And Jesus is pointing to us that um, our sins have been paid for. The debt has been paid by Jesus. And that in prayer, we truly experience God's grace. And so some of you say, gosh, I would love to experience God's grace on my heart. To know it that profoundly, that God does not deal with me according to my sin, but according to his steadfast love. I want to experience that deeply transforming my heart, that it shapes my mind and my identity and how I feel and experience that. Prayer is the place that we do that and that we go and we encounter God. So let me just encourage you here. I know I've said a lot and maybe the Holy Spirit can help you tie all this together somehow. Um, but uh, let me just invite you and invite us. It's prayer I know for probably each one of you here is a deep struggle. This text is an invitation just to repent. To say to God, I've tried to live by controlling my own life. I've tried to live depending on myself. And I want to live now depending on my Father. 
And let this be an invitation to the secret place. There is some secret place where you can meet with God and to know that he is there waiting for you and he wants to meet with you. Let's pray together.